So a week ago, Beth and I were out in New Jersey where I spoke at a Bible conference at a place called America's Keswick. And the good news about that is you guys finally had some good preaching around here as Pastor Kyle and Pastor Chris faithfully proclaimed God's word. Our time at the conference was very special because we met people who are hungry for the preaching of God's word. People were sitting forward. People were eager to hear what God had to say and eager to put into practice what God was calling them to do. After one of the first sessions, Beth and I were walking across the parking lot and she said, man, I love Edgewood. Because Edgewood is just like that, where people come wanting to hear God's word proclaimed and to put it into practice. Indeed, God is doing something really special here. This isn't happening in every church. And so I'm going to invite you, in light of that, open up your Bibles, because that's where we go here on Sundays, to the Bible. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, We're going to be in verses 10 through 17, and we're going to see how God works through fellow believers and through faithful Bible exposition to accomplish his purposes. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand. And let's read this passage together. little backstory, the Apostle Paul's in prison. He's writing to Timothy, who's a young, timid pastor. And he's giving him, really, his final words before he's martyred for his faith. So that's the letter of 2 Timothy. But there's more going on here. This is inspired by God. It's inerrant, it's infallible, it's authoritative. So God's going to do his work today in my life and in your life. Let's participate with him and not fight what he wants us to hear and to heed today. Let's read together. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You can be seated. So here's our main idea. To stand strong, make sure you are being discipled by fellow believers and by faithful Bible exposition. Number one, let's make sure we're being discipled by other believers. 
One of the highlights of our time away was that Beth and I had the joy of spending five days with Pastor Ray and Marlene Pritchard. I served as Ray's associate uh, for several years when we were both in a suburb of Chicago. We've stayed in touch ever since. I serve on the Keep Believing Ministry board. Pastor, pa- board, Pastor Ed does as well. I consider him to be one of my closest friends and my mentor in ministry. So much of what I've learned in ministry came as a result of some long discipling discussions with Ray over fajitas in a Mexican restaurant or by just listening to him preach and teach. And over the years, I've learned many things from him, including how to preach from a manuscript and make it available as a tool for others. Here are some of Ray's sayings that are just etched upon my soul. Here's one. He is God and we are not. Here's another one. This helps when we go through doubt. Faith is belief coupled with some unbelief and then acting on the belief part. Now, while he was preaching a week ago, I heard him say something I hadn't heard before, so I wrote it down. Here's what he said. Never apologize for the Bible. As we move closer to the return of Christ, there will be no middle ground. Listen to this last part. Lukewarm Christians will be knocked off the fence. Now, Pastor Timothy had a ministry mentor who discipled him as well. You see, he served as Paul's associate for several years. And Timothy became the pastor at the church at Ephesus. And as Paul neared the end of his life, he longed for Timothy to stand firm in his faith, no matter how much suffering he would experience. Three weeks ago, we were challenged from the opening verses of chapter 3 with this truth, no matter how bad things become, our great God is in control. Well, let me take us back. Look at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, and he goes through a long list. But here's what I want you to see. Drop down to verse 10. You, however, Timothy, you're different. And now verse 14, but as for you, okay, let's keep going. Look at chapter four, verse one, I charge you. Here's what he's saying. Timothy, no matter what other pastors are doing, no matter what other believers are doing, you stand firm. Even when tough times come, you stand firm even if you have to stand alone. And some of you are doing that in your family, in your workplace, on your campus. You're standing, and it feels like you're standing alone, but you're not alone because God is with you. So Timothy was on a different course than all the false teachers. So let's look now at verse 10. You, however... 
Timothy, you're different. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. The word followed means to diligently walk in someone's footsteps. So it was used of conforming to something as a matter of conviction. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you're not like those false teachers. You're following after the path that I laid out for you. One commentator writes, the best kind of Christianity is not only taught, it's also caught as we see it lived out in other people. Paul celebrates seven qualities in Timothy. First, teaching. This is where we get the word doctrine. This refers to a body of truth. Timothy heard multiple sermons from the Apostle Paul, multiple times when Paul was teaching. Timothy had one-on-one disciple sessions with discipleship sessions with Paul where he developed his doctrine and his theology. theology. Brothers and sisters, it is essential for us to hold to biblical beliefs. Here's why. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Speaking of theology, I am so delighted that over 610 people from Edgewood have taken the Edgewood State of Theology survey. Way to go. Uh, Pastor Kyle and I were meeting with Pastor Chad as we were talking about how to, how to launch this. And uh, Pastor Kyle and I thought, well, maybe 250 people would take it, 300. Chad's like, nah, we'll have like 500. We didn't believe. Well, actually, Chad had more faith than we did. 610 people have already taken. We're going to close the survey on Wednesday. If you've not taken it yet, this is a QR code. You could catch that on your phone. You can go on the app or on the website. If you want a hard copy of that survey, it only takes five to ten minutes. They're out at the Welcome Center. You could even fill that out today. Uh, So Pastor Kyle and I, this past Thursday night, did a live stream of the preliminary results of this survey. And if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go to our website or our app or to YouTube. It's archived there. There is no doubt that we are a doctrinally sound church. You see, firm doctrine must be the foundation of our discipleship. Well, notice next the word conduct. So Timothy not only heard what Paul preached, he watched how Paul lived. And we see that in the departing words of Paul as he left the church at Ephesus, Acts 20, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility. The next phrase, aim in life. And this can be defined as purpose, plan, and design. So Paul is saying, all right, you got your doctrine right. You're watching how I live. But this is even deeper into the inside of the apostle Paul. Paul is saying, you know what motivated me. You know my aim in life. He knew Paul's purpose was to bring glory to God. Colossians 3 or Colossians 1:28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present 
everyone complete in Christ. That was Paul's purpose. That was his aim. Paul lived on mission. Notice the other words, faith and patience and love and steadfastness. We come to verse 11. Paul points to the excruciating suffering he endured. He said, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at, and he lists three towns, at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. And then he says, which persecutions I endured, yet from them the Lord rescued me. The word persecutions has the idea of being put to flight because of hostile pursuit. It means to snatch or to drag. That word suffering is translated as affliction. It goes back to Paul's conversion. You remember in Acts chapter 9, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, Paul was persecuted in many places. You get that by reading through the book of Acts. But he mentions three locations Timothy would be familiar with. Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Paul was kicked out of Antioch for preaching the gospel. Acts 13, 50. He was almost stoned to death in Iconium. Now, I was trying to see how can we relate to these cities. Well, these three cities were close together, and Timothy was from Lystra. So in our context, it would be like like Sherrard and Orion and Taylor Ridge. (laughs) or like Eldridge and Davenport and Bettendorf, or like East Moline, Silvis, and Kelowna. Listen to what Paul said took place in Lystra. This is Timothy's hometown, Acts 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They were following him. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So Paul is saying that's what happened to him, but now he expands the scope to Timothy and he expands the scope to each of us because every serious follower of Christ will face pushback for their faith according to verse 12. Do you see it there? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. One of my favorite podcasts that I listen to, I try to listen to it every week, it's called VOM Radio. It's Voice of the Martyrs Radio. It's a podcast. It comes on my phone. I listen to it uh, when I have time. I listened to it yesterday. There's it talking about what God is doing in the country of Laos, and a persecuted believer was sharing what his world is like. He quoted this verse. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me say it like this. If you're serious about your faith in Christ, you will suffer for your faith. If you're not serious, well, you might be able to skate by on suffering. (laughs) If you don't identify yourself with Christ, if you don't speak up, for Christ, if you don't share the gospel, if you don't live like you're a follower of Christ, well, you might not experience any pushback, but if you're serious with Christ, you will. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to me. See, a lot of us think like, God, I, this is not what I wanted. God, I didn't sign up for this. God, how could this be happening? This isn't fair. This isn't right. I understand all those things. I've said those same things. But this verse tells us something different. We should not be surprised at fiery trials as though they're strange Now, there are many passages that promise persecution. Many of us have life verses or favorite verses. These are probably not among them. John 15, 20, words of Jesus. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) We need to hear this. How many of you benefit from Alistair Begg's ministry over the years? Yeah, look at the hands that go up. He's on Moody Radio. You can also listen to his podcast. Um, I love his accent. But even more than that, his insight and his preaching. I heard him, actually I didn't hear him say it. This is what I saw online today. Check out this quote or this week. Christians are increasingly going to have to choose between obedience and and comfort. Let me just pause there. Most of us always choose comfort. (laughs) He's saying we have to choose between obedience and comfort. The next decades will not bring apathy to the gospel, but antagonism. Now, continuing with that theme of our world spinning out of control, in verse 13, Paul writes these words, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, the evil people here, we're able to spot them. That's generally outward. But notice, imposters, those would be like spiritual charlatans, those who you don't notice at first. They deceive others, and Paul says, well, they themselves are deceived. That phrase, bad to worse, is quite strong. If you're using the King James, it reads, will wax worse and worse. Now, notice verse 14. Paul is confident that that's not going to happen to Timothy. Timothy, you're not going to bail on your faith because you have a solid foundation. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. (laughs) This is the key point in the passage as Timothy is told to continue, stay on, keep going. It's the same word translated as abide in 1 John 2. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. When I was out at this uh, Bible conference after the first day we were there, I realized that there were a number of pastors who were attending. And some of them, from talking to them, were really going through hard times. One guy in particular is a pastor in a mainline denomination, denominational church. And every time he preaches the gospel and stands up for biblical truth, he gets pushback from his own leaders. 
from his own denomination. And I had dinner with him one night, sat right next to him, and I just said, way to go. You're preaching the gospel. Way to go. Keep doing it. Well, that particular morning, I hadn't planned to do this until right before I got up to speak. I asked all the pastors in the room to stand. And they stood up, and I read these words to them. I charge you in the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's from 2 Timothy 4. That's our text for next weekend. And after I read that, everybody around these pastors just cheered for them. You do know that pastoring today is not easy. And there are pastors who aren't speaking up. There are pastors who are beat up. There are pastors who are hesitant to preach the word. And I love pastors and anything I can do to help give them courage and support. The same for all of us. Let's pray for pastors. Now, Paul is confident that Timothy's not going to bail because he's standing firm. I'm looking forward to our new sermon series this fall. We're calling it Unshaken and Unashamed. Seismic shifts have hit our society, leaving people unmoored from truth and unsettled in their faith. The question asked by David in Psalm 11, verse 3, is a question that we need to wrestle with. It goes like this. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Like, how do we respond? In our present cultural environment, it is imperative for followers of Christ to be convictional, to be courageous and compassionate. We must know what we believe, why we believe it, and we must know how to communicate it to others who don't believe it. In short, we must be unshaken in our faith and unashamed of the gospel. So grounded in truth and lived out in God's grace, our faith in Christ will then change our own lives and ultimately help transform a broken world. Timothy had been equipped. He'd been established. He'd been discipled by Paul. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, we also know that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois poured into him. I love this model. Timothy was discipled by his mom, by his grandma, and by the Apostle Paul. A parent, a grandparent, and another believer who's a little further down the road. One of our vision points for 2023 is for everyone to be in a discipling relationship with someone. If you're new to your faith and you're, or you've been a Christian for a while, you're like, man, I got to get grounded in my faith. We're doing our best to connect you with those who are a little further along in their faith. About 90 people here at Edgewood have been involved in intentional discipleship. So parents, it's got to start with us. And grandparents, we need to pour into our grandchildren. But let's make sure we're also discipling 
those around us and being discipled. If you're interested in intentional discipleship, just take a next step card out, fill out your name. Pastor Kyle will get in touch with you. Now, here's an interesting statistic from the Edgewood State of Theology survey. 43% of the respondents have been at Edgewood five years or less. That's a lot. That's a lot of newer people. If you go out to 10 years or less, that 64% of people have been here at Edgewood 10 years or less. Now, keep that in mind as I share this next insight. 66% of those who took the survey have been following Christ for over 30 years. That's wonderful. But can you imagine what would happen if those who've been walking with Christ a long time would say, well, I want to get plugged in and helping someone grow, somebody, a new dad, a new, a new person in their faith get connected and grow in their faith. Speaking of discipleship, I am so thrilled that 19 people are taking a step of discipleship this afternoon at baptism and and I thought it'd be helpful for you to hear their names because, well, we want to celebrate with them. So here's the list. Savannah Labarge, Isabella Moore, Brady Shattuck, Emma Tice, Carter Goodwin, Lincoln Labarge, Aaron Hogue, Kiera Welker, Jennifer Cramblett, Michael Cramblett, Marie Cramblett, Gigi Dotson, Carla Ostrowski, Amelia Meyer, John Meyer, Adrian Megan, Todd Fowler, Tim Crownover, and Madison Crosby. And there were three others on the list that are going to wait till another time. Many of them will also be joining the church. Friends, to stand strong, make sure you're being discipled by a fellow believer and by faithful Bible exposition. Let's move to our second point. Timothy had at least three mentors who discipled him, but he had one main discipler, the word of God. Uh, Join me in verse 15. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Interestingly, the word for childhood there means infant. It means like newborn. So here's an application for us. From birth on up, children need to be taught about the new birth as found in the sacred scriptures. Notice the scriptures make us wise for salvation, but we need to personally respond by extending faith in Christ in order to be saved. That's why we read Bible stories and sing Christian songs in the nursery down on the lower level. By the way, we are in need of more servants for our nursery, our three-year-old and our preschool minister. We have a lot of young families coming, and if you're being prompted to serve in a way, and that's a ministry that would interest you, we could use a lot more help in there. We could use one more person every Sunday, especially at this service, and on top of teaching the Word of God to the next generation, you'll serve on the same Sunday each month and be able to connect with other servants. Now, let's look closely at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. What's it profitable for? Well, for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Observe the first word, all, (laughs) all. Every single word, every letter, jot and tittle, that means the smallest, the smallest, the smallest and the smallest apostrophe and exclamation mark and comma from the very first verse in Genesis to the last verse in Revelation. It's all breathed out by God. That's where we get the word inspiration because sacred scripture is inspired by God. It is inerrant, meaning it's free from error in the original manuscripts. It's infallible, meaning it's incapable of error. It's authoritative. It's completely sufficient and it's magnificently potent. The word of God is a sword that pierces, a mirror that reveals. It's a seed that reproduces. It's more precious than gold. It's milk that nourishes sweeter than honey, a lamp that shines, a fire that consumes, and sometimes a hammer that shatters. The word profitable means beneficial, advantageous, and useful. Notice the four ways the Bible is useful in our lives. We could say it like this. The Bible provides teaching and teaching provides doctrinal content so we know what is right. Reproof, that's like rebuke. Conviction, so we know what is not right. And we're corrected so we know how to Get right. And finally, training speaks of chastening by changing our character so we can stay right. Verse 17 tells us when we allow the word to do its work, we'll be equipped and outfitted for effective ministry. Notice that, we could translate that, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete means sufficient and qualified. Equipped has the idea of being fitted out, super equipped. And finally, we see how the word does all this so we can be involved, don't miss this last part, in every good work. That's what the word does in our lives. It equips us. There's a link between learning in verse 16 and living in verse 17. We're to get the Bible into our heads, into our hearts, and then it must be lived out through our hands because what we believe about the Bible affects our beliefs and our behavior. One of the highlights of the Bible conference was hearing testimonies from those who've been freed from life-dominating addictions. They have a ministry there called the Colony of Mercy for Men and Barbara's Place for Women. During the 120-day residential phase of the program, residents memorize 120 verses. The program is 120 days. They memorize a new verse every day. And then they go back and review them. And I had the joy of speaking to these 40 guys. They have 40 guys at a time there. See, they know the hope of victory and the path to freedom from addiction is not found in recovery alone, but in redemption through Christ alone. And as a result, they literally saturate themselves in the sacred scriptures. 
Even the trees around the residential facility have scripture verses on them. Listen to this. For almost 120 years, more than 20,000 men have passed through this place. And countless lives have been transformed by the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, as we emphasize and celebrate recovery, we declare that Scripture is our highest and final authority. It's not tradition. It's not our politically correct culture. It's not our feelings. It's not our political party. It's not our church. It's not the Pope. It's not the Supreme Court. The Bible alone and only the Bible is the basis of our faith. Now, the highest marks in the Edgewood State of Theology survey all had to do with the accuracy and the authority of the Bible. Way to go, church. At the bottom of one of the handwritten, or bottom of one of the surveys filled out by hand, someone wrote these words, I'm so thankful for Edgewood where the truth has been faithfully taught for 118 years. Years. So let me just show this one. That green there uh, tells us, let me go back to the first one, uh, the one before this, question 21. Yeah, here. So str- the question is, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 89% strongly disagree. If you add that with those who disagree, that's 96% believe the Bible is literally true. True. If you go to the next slide, we see that here 98% believe the Bible is 100% accurate. Listen, if you don't believe the Bible, well, you'll just make up your own beliefs and you'll behave however you like. But if you believe the Bible to be the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God, well, then your beliefs and by God's grace, your behavior will reflect that. You see, only the Bible and the Bible alone became the foundational battle cry of the Reformation. The question is the same in our day. What is the final authority for the Christian? When asked to explain why the Reformation spread throughout Europe, I like what Martin Luther said. He said, the word did it all. When the preacher Charles Spurgeon was asked to defend the Bible, he replied, defend the Bible? I'd sooner defend a lion. You don't defend the Bible, you open its cage and let it roar. (laughs) So if you want God to speak to you, open the Bible and start reading. I've been reflecting on a powerful statement related to the authority of the Bible. God didn't spend 1,600 years and use over 40 different authors, most who never met each other, for us to now rely on our personal experiences and extra-biblical revelation to determine his will. Friends, we get the Bible into our head by getting into it. The word resides in our heart when we let it get into us. 
And then it's fleshed out in our daily lives through our hands when we live it out obediently. We are committed to live out what the Bible teaches, regardless of the cost, no matter the pain, without regard for consequences. Listen, if you stand on the certainty of Scripture, you will be going against the tidal wave of moral relativism in our society. You will be mocked, you will be ignored, and perhaps even persecuted. Well, let me suggest some action steps. Here's where we have to start. Number one, we need to need the word. I'm following the Edgewood Bible reading plan like many of you are, and I read today Psalm 107, verse 9. He satisfies the longing soul. So do you long for the Bible? Are you like, I don't need to read that. Listen, we have to be desperate to hear from God. Then read the word. Then feed from the word. The psalmist prayed, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Don't just skim on the surface. Go deep. Heed the word. It's not enough just to believe the Bible's important or even that it's inspired. No, we must live under its authority. And finally, seed the word. We're to pass the word around by sowing the seed with others. Billy Graham's faith came under siege during the summer, was actually during this month of August in 1949. It was right before the Los Angeles crusade which propelled him onto the national scene. Graham had been invited to speak at a retreat center. Also speaking at this retreat center was his good friend and fellow evangelist named Chuck Templeton whose views on the authority of Scripture were quickly changing. In fact, Templeton challenged Graham with these words, quote, Billy, you're 50 years out of date. People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith is too simple. Well, that rattled Billy Graham because Templeton was his friend. So he's alone in his room that night, And Graham opened up the scriptures and he studied them profusely and he recognized that one phrase kept coming up, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Later, Billy Graham wrote in his autobiography, I had no doubt concerning the deity of Christ or the validity of the gospel, but was the Bible completely With the Los Angeles campaign galloping toward me, I had to have an answer. If I could not trust the Bible, I could not go on. I would have to leave pulpit evangelism. His heart was heavy. He was tormented. Middle of the night, he went for a walk. The moon was out. The shadows were long in the San Bernardino Mountains surrounding the retreat center. And then he dropped to his knees in the middle of the woods. He opened up his Bible at random. And he put it on a tree stump. And then he prayed. This is what he prayed. His words. Quote, Oh God. And then he paused. And he continued, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. When he stood up that August night, his eyes stung with tears. 
This is what he writes. I sensed the presence and power of God as I had not sensed it in months. Not all my questions were answered, but I knew a spiritual battle and my soul had been fought and won. Now, the resulting change did not go unnoticed. The next day, Billy Graham spoke at the conference center and 400 people made a commitment for Christ. Henrietta Mears remarked, quote, that he preached with an authority he, she hadn't seen before from him. From that day on, Billy Graham's signature phrase became, the Bible says, the Bible says. Well, I thought it'd be helpful for us today to declare the authority of the Bible. I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'd like to invite you to say this phrase three times in a row, and we're going to say it louder each time we say it, but let me just give a disclaimer. If you don't believe that, don't say it. If you believe it, say it, declare it. And maybe it's today when you are going to finally say what the Bible says is what God says. And when God says it, that settles it. So let's do it. We'll start in kind of our normal voice and then go louder and get to that last time. We'll just say it very loud. The Bible says it, that settles it. I believe it. The Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it. The Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it. Oh, that's fantastic. Give glory to God for that. Now, here's the deal. That was pretty easy to say. We're all together. We just kind of say it. You know where it's hard to say is in your home for dads and moms to get the Bible out and read it with the kids, for grandparents to stop just thinking, well, my job is to spoil the grandkids. Well, you can do a little of that, but our job is to disciple our grandkids. You know where that's hard to live out? When students, many are back in school right now, to live that out, you young boys here, when your whole class thinks differently, that's when it's hard. For those of you who work in businesses where they're saying, here's how you need to sign your emails, that's when it's hard. And so let's take our public affirmation, our declaration, and may this give us courage to live this out in the context of our relationships in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, and on our campuses, here in the community, all to the glory of God.